0: Presented by St. Louis Area Smoothie Kings. Now here are your hosts, Cam and Kurt. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. This is the all singing episode. That's right, we're going to (laughs) sing the entire time since this is the review of The Hunger Games, Songbirds and Snakes. Are you ready to sing, Cam? So
1: actually, then only one of us should sing. No. Are you going to be the snake?
0: Yes, I'll okay. be the snake. You Cameron's the just where... going to <laughs> slither around. I'm
1: going to really emphasize my s's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've got a camera just above; you can see his full his full worm and snake across his yes. his wonderful floor here. And I will be singing to you my entire review every time I tell you oh about my God. favorite actor, my favorite moment, and my score. You guys ready for you this? You have a
1: lovely voice, but I think that would be I think that would be rough.
0: Just like an impromptu musical, I think <laughs> that that would be very fun.
1: It'll be like that skit on SNL that. Um, I think it was Kristen Wig and was it Kristen Wig and Fred Armisen used to do where they both were singing the same song, but nobody like one person was making it up and the other person was just copying them. Yes, typically Fred would lead it and Kristen would just stand
0: there (laughs) watching the monitor, trying to match his words with her lips. Genius. It'll incredible. Be, that's what it'll sound like. So incredible. Well, you've heard it. We've already laid the groundwork here. We are here to review the newest Hunger Games movie, a prequel. In case you were looking at the box office and wondering where in the world was Jennifer Lawrence, it's a prequel. So we're going to get into all of our wonderful accolades and the special surprise of the day today is that we have our second guest ever appearing on this episode. You've heard his name. You've seen his writing. I don't know that you've seen his face, though, and we're excited to share that with you. We don't have a silhouette of him. We haven't changed his voice. This is the real (laughs) Stefano coming to you. And Stefano, welcome to the show.
2: Hey there, guys. Happy to be here. I will say that if there's any singing involved, I'm... Not interested at all.
1: (laughs) Don't don't be don't be humble. This is not the time for that. We we try to we try to showboat as much as possible around here. We know you have the voice of an angel, but we won't make you show it off because we know that the uh, the the acclaim you would get for it would be it would cost too much popularity and you wouldn't be able to live your normal life anymore.
0: Two things. I mean, the Lord says make a joyful noise. Doesn't matter what it sounds like. (laughs) And number two, we don't want you to outshine our voices because we know it's better. We just know it's better. True. Fair
2: enough. Appreciate it. Well, this is and well overdue.
1: Yes, this is like way overdue. You've been writing just bomb reviews, and I've been getting jealous because uh, we have Kirk and I both have new babies, and we haven't been able to go to the movie theater as much as possible. So we really like are only seeing the movies that we're reviewing on the podcast. So I'm I'm living vicariously through your reviews, and I'm like, man, he's seeing some awesome stuff out there. So we'll we'll get yep. into that a little bit later. Sounds good.
0: Sweet. Should we get into this one, Kirk? Let's do it. We're going to go crazy today. There are three of us on this episode, and we are going to give... All of our best takes of it. So, we're going to go through our superlatives. Of course, we're going to start with In the Oscar Goes To. Followed by Scene Stealer. Followed by Showstopper. Followed by Director's Shoes. And then our final thoughts and scores. We're just going to go rapidly, but still giving you just enough to know, should I see this movie all spoiler-free for you today? And because we have a guest, we have to be cordial. We have to be good hosts. And Stefano, you get to go first. We're going to talk about... The best actor of the entire film, uh, we call it, and the Oscar goes to, we want to hear what your best actor is for this movie.
2: Dang, I appreciate going first. And with three, are you all running the risk of, you know, we're canceling each other out so we can't repeat
1: actors? that is exactly right. Yeah, what's hilarious, though, is that I think Kirk went first on our last review. So he goes last in the order. (laughs) I do. And Uh, so he's just toast. (laughs)
2: Last for lead, lead actor is going to probably bite into our um, <laughs> scene stealer. Oh, but that's true. That's I'll, true. So that'll be a bummer. I don't know if I should throw a curveball. I have what I'm going to say, but you know, I'm going to go with, with Tom Blythe here on Ooh. on my Oscar goes to, you know, might've made it easier for, for you too, but I think Tom Blythe, I've never seen him in anything before. I know he's done a lot of work up until this point, you know, a lot of things based in England and all that, but I think, you know, his performance here was really impressive because there was a lot to balance. There was, and I'll get into it probably later, but the balance of tones he had to work with was was really impressive. And I think he just, everyone played off of him really well throughout the movie. I think he, he, every actor kind of improved their game because they were kind of working with him, you know, in these scenes. So it's something that I saw a lot of. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Like I said, never seen him before, but I think he really held his own, you know, leading this movie.
0: So, yeah. Great pick. Beautiful. I Absolutely perfect. Perfectly spoken. You were made to be here, Stefano. Cam, it's your turn. Uh I'm going to take
1: what I think is probably the the easiest pick of the day and I'm going to take Rachel Zegler. I thought Rachel Zegler. Um she's a she is a scene stealer. I'm giving her the Oscar instead of scene stealer, but she is the like prototypical scene stealer. She has somehow managed to have like every feature film performance of her career so far involves singing. And she has an insane voice, you know, like yeah. I think even in Shazam, she was,
0: she, she's saying her enchantment. Yeah, I exactly.
1: Exactly. So it's like, no matter what she, she's involved in, they're going to find a way to get that amazing voice involved in the script. Obviously in this case, it was in the source material because this is an adapted um, film from the book. Uh, I thought she was good. I think there there were tinges of overacting at times from her, but this is a melodramatic movie. There's lots of, like, teenage angst and things like that sort of built into this, so it never felt too far off tone, and I think that in general, particularly in her scenes with Tom Blythe where there was lots of, like, tension and intimacy and things like that she managed that very well she was a good scene partner and um just an overall really good performance from her overall
0: mm-hmm. beautiful and my before we
1: get off let me interrupt really yeah. quick yeah go I just want
2: before before we hop into the next actor yeah with with Rachel Zegler I, I wonder how, how you guys felt the accent I think for me was a little jarring at first I think we got used to it down the road yes but I think it was a choice that I found very interesting.
1: It's so funny you say that, Stefano, because Kirk and I saw this in theaters together, and that first scene, jarring is the exact right way to, to put it um, because the whole tone of it was just odd in general, and it was mm-hmm. so far over the top that you're like, what are we in for? And my right. jaw dropped, and I looked at Kirk as soon as she started speaking. I was like, no way. Is this the choice <laughs> right. that they made? But But to your point, she settled in, and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. it actually kind of worked, and uh, I didn't hate it by the end at all.
0: Yeah, to, to give you a perfect right. reenaction, just imagine that I am Cam with perfect dark hair and perfect features. He turns to me after that first line, and he goes, <laughs> 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 yeah, "I was like, no way, no way." It was very unexpected. Uh, I've never okay. seen in the in the very short time that we've known Rachel Zegler as an actress, never heard or seen her do anything <laughs> like that. So. It was very jarring. Very jarring.
2: Okay. Yeah. But I just wanted to make sure I wasn't
1: going crazy. You're not either. alone on that. <laughs>
0: not at all. Fair enough. All right, number three for and the Oscar goes to I'm gonna potentially shake up the next category by picking this person. And the Oscar goes to Jason Schwartzman. Dang <laughs>
2: well, at least he's gonna get at least he's gonna get more talked about here.
0: <laughs> he is he is incredible. Uh you, you mostly the world out there, you mostly know him from his work in Wes Anderson films, because I mean home runs all around. And Big shoes to fill here, right? Right. I'm part of the Tucci gang. I love Stanley Tucci from the original series, and he nails it. He nails a younger version of him, a quirky kind of uh, used car salesman <laughs> version of a reporter, and he he just really brings life and energy into this movie because, remember, we're talking about kids, murdering kids for the, the benefit of all, all of all society that's being rebuilt, and he really just brings... A, a completely surreal and unexpected curveball of humor that I thought could not be filled. And it's really wonderful to watch this progression of how he just kind of rolls into this uh, this role as hosting the Hunger Games for the for the entire capital. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. Just a, a full home run for him.
1: Nice. All right. kids agree more.
0: Next one up. Now we go to Scene Stealer, the best supporting actors. Stefano, we kick it back to you.
2: Oh, wow. So we're not snaking it. You're going to let me go first again. That's right. That's, I really time. appreciate
0: that. We
1: got we to gotta make sure you come back. So this is us being nice. Next time we're going to snake it and it's on like Donkey Kong.
2: Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, I'm glad I still have this pick. Um, Viola Davis. Uh, my, my goodness. I'm, I'm sure I stole the rest of yours. There's plenty of actors to go through. <laughs> but Viola Davis totally blew me away in this. And I thought, you know, it's always a risky type of role, right? We know a lot of those Especially from the older Hunger Games movies, a lot of those characters in the Capitol are over the top, crazy. And Viola Davis, you know, she can literally do anything. And I thought, you know, this could be two show body. Who knows what might happen? And she may even look out of place, but we didn't get that at all. She just commanded every scene she was in, loved the makeup and the hair, and was just super impressed by it. Obviously, we know how great Viola Davis is, but super impressed with her. She was intimidating. She was funny. She was everything. So really, really enjoyed her performance. And a buddy of mine who has never seen any of the hunger games movies, uh, reached out to me. like, I mean, maybe go see the just reveal with Davis because yeah. I love her and I would, I'd be fine with that.
1: Yeah. I, I did not know that she was in this movie until the last trailer for the movie. I saw it and I was like, yes, let's go. <laughs> I like, it got me very excited about it. Um, to your point, she can do anything. And it's it's crazy that in a movie like this, like as Stefano said, there's so many tones being balanced in this. It's always tricky when you've got this like dystopian, post apocalyptic, very dark kind of setting. It yes. can be odd. Her tone was perfect. Mm-hmm. And she was probably at the most risk for being a weird caricature, and she wasn't at all. Um it's it's pretty impressive. I have to I have to give it to her. Um okay, my scene stealer. Uh, I'm going to take I'm going to take Peter Dinklage Yay, who yeah, is sure. um, playing Tyrion Lannister once again in, in this film. <laughs> I love that character. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? If he wants to roll that character out, he was typecast as um, the professor uh, or the dean, I guess, um, of, the sc- of the school where all of the young capital children are going. Um, I thought that there was just a lot to like about this. I love how he can make anything just feel Shakespearean and um, heavy. He felt like someone who, uh, the the toll of living in the Capitol, and his character actually has something to do with the creation of the Hunger Games, the toll of that wearing on him and, and showing that in his character. He didn't get a ton of screen time. He didn't get a ton of opportunity to show us like what that means to his character and things like that. But... He knocked it out of the park. I thought he uh, did a really good job. And sometimes you just do the role that, you know, even if it's... You don't have to add anything extra. Even though you're like, okay, this is kind of like I've been typecast in this role. Just play the part and, and do your thing. And he did that and... I I can't fault him at all for it. I thought it was great.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you're getting a paycheck to be the same person over and over again, do it. As long as you're doing it well, then Mm -hmm. that's perfect. Um, Scraping the the bottom of the barrel here. But still, I think it's a a reasonable uh, choice here, right? I'm going to go with Mr. Josh Andres Rivera. This is uh, someone you might have heard in the news that is dating Rachel Zegler. Mm -hmm. In fact, they were dating on the set. They would pass each other notes. Um, he recently went on The Kelly Clarkson Show They went on together To advertise the movie And he would draw pictures Of Rachel Zegler As different inanimate objects Or animals <laughs>
1: <And> <laughs> That's s- awesome
0: So she's like chained up uh, As they're getting interviewed For the Hunger Games And he like slip something in Before shooting started And she'd open it up And crack up And then have to be like I'm gonna beat everybody <laughs> So I love it. So he's he's fantastic. He plays uh, he plays the, the this character who is who came from from nothing, came from the districts, has, suddenly had wealth and became part of the capital and is living a better life, but has guilt. He has uh, very much guilt over not being in the games like his his fellow friends are. Uh, I loved him. I, I thought he was really emotionally. Uh, in tune with his character, uh, with the weight that was required of it. Um, he also played Chino in West Side Story.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think they were dating at that time, too. Yeah. Or perhaps that's where they met or something like that. They were still together, I believe, on, on during that
0: shoot. Exactly, exactly. So why didn't we hear him sing in this one? I don't know. That's, I mean, I, it's fine. <laughs> there weren't enough songs written. That's fine. But I, I really appreciated him coming into the fold and just knocking this out of the park and just really creating uh the right amount of tension and and love and balance and and conflict uh, I thought that he played that very well without overdoing it or or crying or, or whining too much it very felt very balanced and real mm-hmm I think that's a great pick. I wanted to make sure that he
1: got picked, so that's why I was worried about picking Peter Dinklage, but I, f- I figured you'd back me up. I got you. I appreciate For you sharing. Sure.
0: <laughs> Next up, we're going to talk about the production value of this ginormous film. It's one of the biggest films of the year. Uh, I did not look up the budget, but maybe someone else can while I talk. The Showstopper accolade here that we give out is all about the best either moment or best theming, uh, the best through line, so it could really be anything, but what is it about this film that really just stopped you in your tracks and said... Whoa! And Stefano, we're going to you first, man.
2: Man, appreciate it. And then I forget: with these categories, are we can we add on to each other's, or are you yeah. picking? A, do you have to pick a totally different showstopper? Yeah. No. Nope. Okay. So I was thinking about this while watching, and I think a lot of it helps because we have you know the same director, you know Francis Lawrence d- directed all besides the first Hunger Games movie, and of course Catching Fire, which I still hold as maybe it's a spoiler, but as my favorite of, oh, of the match. Yeah. Um, and he carried a lot of this over into this movie. And I think something that stuck, stuck out to me a lot was obviously the balance of tones. but I just like, I loved a lot of the camera work on, you know, the hunger games portion of it. You know, it has like the, the nauseating shaky cam and there was also a lot of good, a lot of good extreme close-ups throughout the movie. And a lot of that, Happened in the Hunger Games sequence. And while it's not my favorite Hunger Games sequence of the movies, I think that the way that was filmed was probably my favorite um, portion of this movie. And, you know, it was just added to the excitement, right? Because I think there were some elements of it that maybe we'll touch on it later that I think lacked in that sequence where the camera work and the, the direction I think was really solid. And that was my favorite, probably. And then, of course, the tone, like I mentioned
1: before. Yep, excellent. I like the continuity of having the same director. I -hmm. I, it was it was I didn't know that going in, and it was immediately recognizable. There was a similar feel, and I think that when you've got a franchise, um, sometimes it can be a little bit jarring when you've changed directors (laughs) and you've changed aesthetic and feel between films. You have to like reacquaint yourself with the world, like Star Wars. Yeah, like exactly (laughs) like the sequels in Star Wars. It was like, okay, hold on, we've got a very different like goal here with the, with the camera work and things like that. So I dug the continuity as well. Um, my showstopper is similar and I'm going to talk about the budget as well. The budget for this movie was a hundred million dollars. So big oh. budget film, especially for a hunger games. I feel like that's pretty well up there. Um, my showstopper is the world of Pan Am this time. I think, yeah. I think that that was good. I think that in the first hunger games movie, because they were kind of waiting to see if it would work, it felt very claustrophobic. There like wasn't a ton of, built out there but then by the time you get to the third movie you're like this isn't even the same place i don't understand it's like a war torn you feel like you're in budapest like (laughs) i don't know what's happening here in this movie they were able to build that world a little bit more And the world of panem and the world of the hunger games is just cool it's it's i think it is kind of the secret sauce for this whole thing there's this sense of like um, almost like government restriction. Whereas like they have some things that are so technologically advanced and some things that are so primitive because they're trying to hold the people down and seeing the capital and how people live in the capital and the diversity of situations and people that exist in this world. I really thought they knocked it out of the park. Obviously this is a prequel. So it's set even before the hunger games, which is um, difficult. I mean like, like many many decades have passed between this movie and the later ones because uh, President Snow is so old in the later films, so to like take a non-specific period and then like roll it back and to take something out of a book and adapt it to create this world, um, I thought it was very well done and I appreciated the deeper dive into Panem that this movie offered and it made me uh, kind of want more honestly.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. My showstopper has to be with the adaptation from the book to the movie. Let me be clear. I have not read a book since uh, 1999, and I will never read one again. No, but the, the idea that this was written down to potentially become a movie and the the transfer of it was very well done. Mm -hmm. You can hear it in the storyline in the exposition in the dialogue that the way that the information is presented to us, the way that we see the lore of the war and even the visuals of the, of the war that, that was only talked about before in the, in the first hunger game films, the way that we uh, see how the relationships are structured, even to a bigger depth that couldn't be described in the hunger games because it was all kind of left to the imagination or, or left out of, those original films. I I just really loved that I could understand everything. If you've never seen a Hunger Games film, if this was your first one, I feel like you could go in and say, all right, I get it. I'm Mm -hmm. with you, Uh, besides the nods to the future films that we get a little bit of of glimpses in later on in this. Uh, So I just really loved the adaptation. It was very strong, very sturdy, and it didn't leave me thinking they're retconning anything or they are backpedaling on anything in a way that was uh, like, eh, fans didn't like this, let's go that way. It was all solid. Mm -hmm. That's great. All right, let's get into... The parts that we didn't like about this film, without spoiling it, still, boys, listen carefully. This is the director's <sighs> shoes, and we'd like for Stefano to step into those first again.
2: Fair enough, and I will say I do have a handful, but I will go over one to give you to give you all more to speak on. And I'm actually going to to almost piggyback off of your your showstopper, uh, Kirk, and and turn that into a director shoes of mine yep. and I think it has to do with and I didn't read the book but I did do all the research afterwards because I was like interested in, in what happened I think without spoiling the third act of this movie struggles a fair amount and in a couple ways where there are certain character transitions and decisions that seem seemingly come out of nowhere if you don't especially if you don't know the end result right and and I was wondering why it seems so random. And after doing the research, I discovered that there is so much inner dialogue from, you know, the main character of this movie in the book that mm. was tough for them to show in, you know, in in the movie. Got and it. maybe some of that didn't come across. But and then I think just the way the last maybe 20 minutes wrapped up without saying anything, it felt very quick. Um, and that one I struggled with. I ended up loving, you know more of the, the Pan Am stuff you know at the beginning and it's funny because I know they split up Jay into two movies and everybody was pretty angry about that and they're like we can't do it for this one and I feel like maybe there's a version even though we complained about that one being split where you have parts one and two as a, as a movie and then maybe part three is built out and it's a totally different scenario so that's my director's shoes I'm sure I have something to build on um, but I don't want to step on any toes.
1: Dude, you're you're so on the money with with uh, splitting it up like this. This movie, in a in a weird way, was like a microcosm of the f- of the Hunger Games trilogy or quadrilogy or whatever yeah. it's called <laughs> uh, with the part one, part two, because the gear shift from act two to act three is abrupt. I mean, and it takes a while to trudge through that and get back to like, okay, I'm re-engaged here, and that mm-hmm. is kind of how that Hunger Games series felt like, where. You get, to, uh, you get through part one and it's like on a high note and then part three is like gear shift or, or you get to part two and you're like gear shift. Wow, I'm really having to kind of like get myself re-engaged here. So I, I do feel like this movie, it, it that third act, act transition is a doozy. It mm-hmm. is an absolute doozy. Um, oddly, <laughs> there's some stuff I really like in the third act. Yes. I like how it's like, almost like Hitchcockian and paranoid, you know, mm-hmm. like, like Stefano, you were talking about for the sure. super, the super ups and stuff like that were really, really assisted. Uh, well there, but there's some weird like editing, like in scene editing where you can tell that they were like chop here, start here because maybe it was an even longer cut than they were wanting. But for me, um, it really comes down to not the editing, but the story uh, is my director's shoes because I felt like, there this movie is so long it's like two hours and 37 minutes or something like that and it feels quite long and the reason for that is because of that third act transition but also the fact that like the characters get kind of lost in the sauce there and i think that that's that comes down to the story and i feel like if there was a way to maybe you know Stefan, a really good point about the inner dialogue maybe if there's a way to introduce a narration tool to kind of truncate Mm -hmm. it at times Mm -hmm. to like Cut out a chunk of time and give us some give us some Coriolanus snow narration over top to fill in the gaps and fill in where his head's at. Yeah. Maybe that helps it move a little bit better. I've I've seen people praising the pacing for this film, and I really disagree with that. Because I think the story hurt mm-hmm. and I think it all comes back to the story ultimately because they're trying to show so much of the characters, but they still fall short. So I think the story holds it back. Um, rather than elevating it when it, when it could have elevated it. Cause there's some really good stuff in there.
0: Yeah. I like to solve, sure. we like to solve problems on here, Stefano. And so like with the inner monologue, couldn't that have, what do you think? Like, couldn't they have, uh, I feel like snow could have written a letter to Lucy gray and like, she could have read it, but it would have been him, him narrating. So you wouldn't have to have a uh, continuous narration throughout. Mm-hmm. I feel like even that, sure. even if it was like a two minute scene would have been enough to add the fill in the blanks in act three. What do you think?
2: For sure. No, for sure. I totally agree with that. I can, I can see it either way. And, you know, it could even be just maybe a narration at the start of each segment, just, ah, yes. just anything, because, you know, it's like I said, and it plays in a lot with, you know, the turn of events and all that. And, you know, and the source material also like, you know, I think this is probably the the book was the least well-received out of the best. I think Suzanne Collins is a really talented writer. I read those, mm. those original three books back in the day and really solid writing. But I do think, you know, some readers found issues with the prequel and book form as well. So, you know, maybe they did what they could with it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, my turn. Director's shoes, yep, right? Go for it. So when I said I like the adaptation of the story, I agree with you guys. I don't like the pacing because it is good information. It is too much information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I fully agree with Stefano. Split this into and Cam. Split this into two films, and it would have been so much more enjoyable, digestible because we didn't get a chance to meet those dramatic moments uh, that our characters were laying down, most likely they would have been well. We'll never officially know. uh, But the beats of the movie were so rushed to get so much information in, in order to appease the toxic fans of the split from the earlier (laughs) quadrilogy lots of stuff going not on even there. toxic
1: fans they're, maybe maybe they're well-mannered fans I, I mean
0: I you know I agree I, I did not <laughs> enjoy the split between mocking j one and two I, I'm with you uh, but we all know that the trolls are just like what do you hate all right let's go man ah! <laughs> yeah <laughs> bring the pitchforks bring the pitchforks and then my only other director's shoes was that there was a moment of CGI that was so abysmal in this film mm. that I I think I was giggling Cam I don't know if you heard me giggling at an inappropriate <laughs> moment but that's what was happening because holy cow terrible terribly executed terribly set up dropped the ball on all fronts of this (laughs) it was it was so bad yeah i know what part
2: you're not talking you're gonna have to you're gonna have to you know send me a little little text afterwards to to i'm trying to remember it was long i'm trying to remember this i had to
1: shush kirk he was being such a such a (laughs) distraction there's distracting force in the theater i was like wow decorum decorum (laughs) it's true it was
0: it's terrible terrible
2: And part of the rushness, I think, was another one of my director's shoes. Was in the in the actual Hunger Games sequence, um, man, I felt like the other kids, what have you, from the other districts, were so paper thin in in Mm. regards to personality that we get so much in the original trilogy. In the first two, you know those characters so well, I couldn't name a single one right now. Yes. Um, And if you would have had parts one and two of the full movie, then we have a more fleshed out, you know. Yes. We could have met those. That's like one of
1: the main strengths of the original trilogy is that you get into the games in the first two movies and you're like, I know who these guys are. I know what their motivations are. They're not one dimensional. And yet they they deliver you those bits in bullet point form. They're not Mm -hmm. spending a ton of time building it out. They're like, here's this character. Here's what you need to know. Boom. And you feel you feel acquainted enough to feel like, okay, I understand the stakes of this games. Like I understand how it's going to work.
0: Yep, here's their motive. Are they good or they bad? Is the motive more stronger than Katniss's? Is it stronger uh-huh. than whoever's, right? It's it's so true. We didn't get enough time with those. For sure. Well, let's give our final thoughts and scores, gentlemen. This is what it all comes down to. This is what the people that listen to this podcast <laughs> determine their lives upon. Not just the movie that they're going to see, their but whole their whole life. Lives. Their whole life, wow. Their families, their friends, their enemies.
1: No pressure, Stefano.
0: So let it lay let it oh, on I was gonna
1: say Maybe we switch up the order
0: on this one now. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance, sir. It all comes down to you.
2: Okay. Um, I was back and forth, and I think at the end of the day, I I think I liked – I think I the things I liked, I did like a lot. Things I disliked, I, we've, we've covered, and there's some other small things. But I think I'm landing on a healthy 7.1 kernels on this one. And, you know, um, just a couple of the final thoughts is, you know, like I said – nothing overshadows in either way. You know, I think I enjoyed a lot of it. There were some things I found super impressive. Some things were really frustrating. We haven't talked about the singing Rachel Zegler has an amazing voice, but man, there were too many songs Yes, I think mm-hmm. in my opinion. And then again, I looked it up. Apparently the book has stopped numerous times for the lyrics of songs. So <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we were too faithful to the book, to the source material, but landed on a seven, one, um, maybe I'll think about it. Maybe if you asked me on Friday night when I saw it, it would have been higher, but after more thinking, seven one.
1: See, that's why we started doing this and it's good. We have a little bit more, uh, we saw it on Thursday night. And so we have a little bit more time to digest. And I think it's been good for me personally, because mm-hmm. I'm really, mm-hmm. I really fall victim to recency bias in a major way. Mm-hmm. For uh, sure. But yeah, I, I agree with most points. I think this movie left left a lot on the table. I think they're, There was so much untapped potential and there was so much drawn out that I was like, why are we harping on this in Mm -hmm. particular? Mm -hmm. Um, the acting, the casting and the acting, I think elevates this movie. I think what a coup to get Viola Davis in your film. What a coup to get, you know, Peter Dinklage and some of these vets surrounding your young core. And then those two really brought it with, they had a really good chemistry on screen and things like that. Um, there, there is an interesting feel to this movie overall. It's kind of melodramatic. It's got a lot of, like, the characters... Um, I saw um, Zach Stentz, who was one of the writers on Thor and a few other, um, like, X-Men movies, X-Men First Class, I think, mm-hmm. said that this movie almost has, like, an anime film. And that's why Gen Z loves it because it's like, For sure. like he's got the flowers and he's got the like the bleach blonde hair and the way these characterizations are so yeah. over the top, it almost has that feel to it. And I I find that a little bit endearing. It's almost fun. It adds a splash of life to the movie in a way. Um, that said, I can't go higher than a six five. There's just too much left on the table. And even though I liked different parts of the first and second acts versus the third act, they don't gel, and that hurts it in a, in a major way. By the time we were 10 minutes into the third act, I was ready to be done. I was ready to be over
0: with. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, let me finish this sandwich of ratings here that we have here, gentlemen. I believe that this, uh, this film is rewatchable. I don't believe that it is the best of the series or the best since Catching Fire, but mm-hmm. I do believe it's a solid a solid entry into this world. You know, we can't always have 10 out of 10s for every uh, every consequential film that comes out when we make sequels. Like, we always crave it. Um, but the, the other side of the sword is that we might get, get stuck by it, right? So I feel like this particular installment, decent, rewatchable, not terrible, would have loved to change a bunch of things. Again, I do think that uh, all three of us could be on the consultation world of all films, all film studios. I'm just gonna say that every single time we record something, so that way someone hears it. Uh, we're we're available. We will be. <laughs> we will be hired by you someday. Um, I believe that this movie lands at a six point three out of ten kernels for me today.
1: Get out of my brain, Kurt. I'm am <laughs> too high. I'm
2: too high. My score's too high, and I think <laughs> no, it's yeah, not. It's my, not, first, it's it's my not. first kernel raining because I, I think I'm. I'm I'm not as high as the score shows, but um, but yeah, I think based on other scores that I, I have my own personal log of stuff. So yeah. you know how it goes. So yeah, no, those are all great scores.
1: Listen, it's not for the faint at heart and Kirk and I end up with similar scores all too often.
2: <laughs> we're exactly. we're too,
1: to we're too similar. I need to like go on a mean streak or something like that. But I feel like my scores are coming down. Like sometimes I look at my past scores and we've talked about doing a segment called retcon where we go back and change scores. I still think that's kind of, oh, for sure. Um, because with time, uh, you know, Maybe Enola Holmes 2 doesn't deserve a 9.0. I don't know. <laughs> well, Did you give it a 9.0? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I, no, it's I enjoyed it. It's,
0: it's not a 9.0. It's it's
1: not it's not uh it's not taxi driver or anything.
0: I, know mean, know I mean Enola Holmes 1, I could see a 9.0. No,
1: neither one, one. Neither one. It was bad. Um <laughs> well thank you guys for for you know the the scores. And if you saw the movie The Hunger Games, uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Steaks, the title is almost as long as the movie itself um let us know y- your thoughts and and your score it's it's a tough one it's a tough one
0: it is tough to score it is tough to score Um uh, just want to do a recap if you've been listening and you've still listened to this entire episode i'm not saying once and i feel like that is an, an accomplishment of its own
1: it's good I- i'm proud of you yeah i, mean, I know how much re- restraint
0: forgot. that takes thank you thank you i i believe you owe me like lunch or something that yeah. would be great Well, Stefano, before you go
2: enough for you, for (laughs) for you to think. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. Uh,
1: Stefano, before, before we bounce out of here, we got to talk to you. Like I said, we've been jealous about your, uh, your movie watching, what you've been able to see recently. I know you've slammed through a ton of movies and award season is almost upon us. We're going to, we're going to debut a new segment that will be your segment ongoing um, called floor 24 where you can fill us in on everything that is going on in your movie watching world. So, Stefano, I got to ask you. You wrote a review of the holdovers for our website right now on PopcornForBreakfast.com. You can go check it out. It's spoiler free. It's delicious. Um,
0: you can eat it. You can literally yeah. <laughs> like Wonka Vision paper. Wonka you know, Vision. <laughs> you just steal it right out of your laptop. I got to
1: ask you, like, so the, the holdovers, I know you've seen, uh, have you seen Anatomy of a Fall at this point? What were what the other yep. films that, that you've seen recently that you feel like are on your awards watch list?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I have seen a lot. I don't know what, you know, it's that time of year, a bunch of things are coming out and I'm trying to see as much as I can, especially because now if the is not going to make a bunch of money, they like to kick them out of a the theater after about a week. So yep. that's a bummer. Um, so a couple that, I saw, I saw Priscilla, I saw yeah. Anatomy of a Fall, um, watched the killer on Netflix. So that was a theater going experience. Um, and then a bunch of other smaller ones. I saw, I think Flora and the sun, I think a couple of you might've seen it. And again, when I give, I'm going to give some feedback on a couple of these quickly. And if you have anything to add to these, let me know. Um, and then fingernails, I know that was a, a highly anticipated <laughs> one. Mm-hmm. And I have some, some quick thoughts on that. So, yeah, I think in awards, out of everything I've seen so far, I think realistic award contenders: Anatomy of a Fall, absolutely, mm. holdovers that I just reviewed, and Priscilla. I think the rest of these, I have thoughts on some of them, but I don't. But I think you know some of the standouts are what I just mentioned, and we'll go over Anatomy of a Fall really quick because I know this one was the talk of the town. It yes. won, you know, the Palme at Cannes. So. That was a big deal, and it's also a big deal because France strikes again and didn't select it as their representative for the Academy Awards. Now, yeah, what are they doing over there?
1: uh, What are they doing over there in France? We need to get somebody over there to monitor that situation. This is like
2: when 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 Portrait (laughs) of a Lady on Fire wasn't selected this year, and I think I think maybe now it's a strategic move. So I think Anatomy of a Fall. What's going to happen here is we may see representation in a screenplay category, mm. maybe best picture, and then they'll get their representative as, you know, best they're international feature, right?
0: To be clear, yeah, skeleton that, just to make sure I quoted you right, did you say Fra- France strikes again? Is that correct? <laughs> you heard it here first. Okay, I'm going to put that they, on our next t-shirt. <laughs> you can buy it on popcornforbreakfast.com.
2: And it's, it's out of respect because they they're making lots of good movies over there. It's true. And I think one of the main things from Anatomy of a Fall is... I think we have a really good chance of a, of a best actress nomination out of that. Oh my gosh. Why is the name escaping me right now? Sandra Huller was absolutely phenomenal in this and it's a lengthy movie. It's a procedural through and through. Basically the quick gist is, you know, we have a wife, a husband and a child. And early on in the film, the husband falls out of their house and dies. Oh. And we, the only, only witnesses there are kid, wife, now deceased husband and this whole movie is a procedural and while may not add anything to that type of courtroom drama the acting the story the how much we learn about these characters is phenomenal and can't recommend it enough if it's streaming eventually watch it if it's still in theaters go watch it but sandra hola i think could be a dark horse not only for nomination but potentially may uh, may put up a fight with what looks like emma stone being a favorite in that category this year Um, I'll quickly go over Priscilla too, because I loved that one. And Priscilla, you know, it feels crazy. We just had Elvis come out and it's, you know, I saw the trailer for Priscilla and I'm like, well, okay, A24 is just distributing it. Sophia Coppola is directing it. It's gotta be good. Right. And, and it really was amazing. And it tells such a different story than what you would expect. Right. You know, we've always had those rumblings of Elvis, maybe not being you know, behind the scenes not being as great of a person as he is, right? Mm -hmm. And this really comes to fruition in this movie about Priscilla Presley's life. And, you know, in a perfect world, I think the, um, oh my gosh, Kaylee Spaney, who is playing Priscilla in this, gets a nomination here as well. The field's probably a little too crowded. In my opinion, she's in my top five actress performances of the year. It is a crowded field, so I don't see it happening, but that would be a, a wish list item. So well directed, Jacob Elordi, outstanding. Totally different take than Austin Butler gives, but a very convincing one. Um, can't say enough about solo Really recommend it. It's kind of a, another cozy, for lack of a better term, cozy film. You know how she films, yeah, and it really, you know, envelops you in that in that scenario. Yeah, so. I think
1: sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, based on the subject matter. I think sometimes the right. tone, tone of her films can be a little. Right, strange, but I, I've seen movies of hers that I love. I've seen movies of hers that I don't love, and so yep. I, I'm definitely intrigued by that
0: one. Yeah, and I'm a big yeah. uh, diehard Elvis fan, so I'm I'm ready to see the scathing expose on him. <laughs>
2: Seriously, and you know, and it's not, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It's you know, it's a movie about Priscilla, so you know that's something else I liked about it. I didn't didn't spend too much time on him. Nice, so.
1: Excellent.
2: That's most of it. I don't want to spend too much time doing everything else. I want to give because, you know, maybe my score was, I felt like my score was too high. I'm going to start, I'm going to throw out a little hate right now. Yes. um, For a non Oscar contender and should be a non contender for anything ever. Uh, I watched Fingernails um, Mm. on Apple TV, Apple Plus. You can watch it. And this one was so, I was so excited for it. I didn't, I think initially when we see Riz Ahmed, Jesse Buckley, and Jeremy Allen White. We're thinking potential Academy Awards yep. for sure. Jesse Buckley, we need to get her an Oscar eventually, yes. um, especially. And the premise was interesting. Basically, in a nutshell, in the near future, we have to test out compatibility with a partner. So they remove a fingernail from each partner, put it into a machine, and it'll show if they're a match. As you can imagine, this leads to some issues, divorces, all that good stuff. Um, there was just some baffling decision making throughout this movie, and the actors did what they could uh, with the writing. It's so crazy seeing three stellar actors just not not able to overcome a lot of the character decision making, the dialogue, and the first half definitely better than the second half. You're like interested to see where it's going, but I, uh, for lack of a better term, detested how this movie wrapped up, and <laughs> and, that- uh, and reverse I reverse recommend it.
0: Reverse recommend. Negative recommend. I love that. I did get a chance to watch Fingernails myself, and I I, I do fully agree with, you know, first half was so strong, second half nothing really happens it gets really repetitive and we don't have any kind of shocking moment or left hook Um, but I do think that the writers of this film were probably millennials because there was this incredible website if you guys remember called lovecalculator.com yes when we were kids (laughs) I don't know if it's still out there but if it is I think this is exactly where it came from maybe we
1: should buy the domain name Kirk
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what fingernails came from so yeah it made me cringe every time a fingernail was pulled off but I'm I'm with you my Initial gut reaction was like that was cool that was unique, um, but as it sits, it's like, nah, nah. Could have been better.
2: They could have done so much more with it. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah. And the director but of that film is from the from the
1: Yorgos Lanthimos directing tree. Mm-hmm. You know, he he, I think worked as uh, on uh, <laughs> if that's a thing. I'm I'm making it a thing.
2: I'm sure I'm sure Yorgos would have done a lot lot more with that.
1: Would have <laughs> loved to see seen his. It would have definitely made you feel as uncomfortable as possible. He's he's good at that <laughs> sure. Guys, I have a quick update
0: sure. before we wrap this episode up and it's very urgent. The lovecalculator.com is still an active website. Yeah. You can type in your name and your crush and see if you are compatible. So make sure okay. everyone out I'm there I'm doing does that, that this
1: afternoon. That's definitely happening. <laughs> um, that's for sure. That's awesome. Well, Stefano, that's why we like to have you on here because I it, you know, award season I want to see all these movies the the movie like fingernails is a is your prototypical awards magnet based on the names attached to it and so people start to buzz before they've seen the film and so that's why you got to kind of sift through because it's like award season is a sprint um not a marathon yes you have to watch things quickly to make sure you see everything that needs to be seen so those are the things that you can punt until later if it's just like this does not work this is not going to get nominated you just I'll still watch it but I'm going to punt it till later. So that's good to know. I have to ask For you, sure. Stefano, this is sort of a two part question and we'll probably be one of the last things that we cover in my opinion. Nothing that I have seen has trumped Oppenheimer so far this year to me. That's my best picture. If I'm an Academy voter right now, I'm, I'm, I'm christening it. Do you agree with that take based on everything that you've seen? And if not, what is it that, that beats it in your mind?
2: It's funny you say that because I was looking at my list just before we hopped on and I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Oppenheimer. And I know we're potentially going to do our top tens before the year's out. Yes. is still, is still my number one spot. And it's still one I feel like is deserving of best picture, you know, movies like past lives and Mm -hmm. holdovers and anatomy of a fall are close. And there's still things to be seen. I'm, you know, going to go see St. Louis International Film Festival screening of All of the Strangers coming up. Oh, nice. Um, and, you know, Poor Things has still come out. So, but right now, as it stands, you know, I don't want to seem like, oh, we were the the Christopher Nolan stand boys, um, but Oppenheimer's is something else entirely, and I think it's, it's my favorite of the year, for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think that scale matters when you're talking about Best Picture. Yes. We've seen, especially in recent years, a lot of films that Check the boxes in terms of being impactful, being, uh, you know, truly unique and once in a lifetime concepts, but they don't achieve the scale that I think people tend to expect with the best picture nominee. Like Oppenheimer does that (laughs) times a billion. The scale is so massive, the stakes are so high. It is, it does feel like that generational kind of film that would win, and people would go, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I feel like It has to be the front runner in the field right now, but I do, you know, based on what I've heard, I have not seen it yet. I think poor things may have something to say about that before it's all said and done, but it's going to be weird. And the Academy has trended away from weird recently. So, um, we'll see.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to pick the new Haunted Mansion that released this year, but that was just my my thoughts.
1: Thanks for reminding me that. that Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was unfair. (laughs) Trigger warning next time, Kirk. Before you say it, say that. (laughs) Eh, eh, eh,
0: eh. (laughs) On that note, (laughs) we will leave all of you. Thank you so much to our special guest Stefano for joining us. We appreciate you and everything you do to help us talk more about movies and give all the different uh, ideas and and opinions about movies and film that are out there. Thanks to my incredible co-host Cameron. Who is the just the boss around here and the best. And thanks to me for not singing on this episode once again, you're welcome. We'll be back with you next week with more movie news and movie reviews. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.